0: If you have your Bibles, uh, please open up to 2 Tim- uh, Timothy chapter 2. Uh, this morning we're going to be in the first seven verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, as you're opening up, uh, we're going to read these through and, uh, and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes this to Timothy. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civ- civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to You. We come here because of You. We come because we need You. We need Your presence. We need Your Word. We need to be changed by You and for You. We need to be reminded of You. We need to be reminded of who we are in You. And so, Holy Spirit, we give this morning to You we come asking that You would speak through me and that You would speak into our hearts and that You'd meet us where we are and that we would not just hear Your Word, but that we would actually apply Your Word to and in our lives. We give this to You and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Really good to see all of you this morning. Uh, We're going to get right into it. Have you ever found yourself in a place that you needed to do something or go through something and you found yourself praying that God would give you strength, right? Uh, I think many of us, if not all of us, would be there. Um, when we had kids, when Amy and I had kids, uh, we had four of them. But I can remember back thinking, when we had Noah right off the bat, I'm like, I have no clue. And if you've had a child, you know the boat that you're in. Like you have, you have absolutely, everybody says, wait till you're ready to have kids. There's no waiting till you're ready to have kids because you're never ready. And I can remember praying, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I still pray that, right? Because now they're getting older and I have no idea, right? And so I'm praying for that. I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need you. I need your strength, right? I've been there as a dad, as a husband. Uh, There's been times where I've been as a pastor. Um, There's been many times that I've walked into situations as a pastor and if you could only hear what's going on in my brain, it's, it's crazy. There's been many times I've walked into the situation going, Lord, I have no idea what, what to do, what to say. I, I need your strength. And one, one came to mind this week when I was putting the sermon together. This is probably going back a good, good 12 years, maybe, uh, 12, 13 years. And uh, it was a Friday morning. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, there was a knock at the door. Somebody was knocking at our door at 5 o'clock in the morning. Thankfully, I was up. I was getting ready to start writing the sermon. Yes, I write that early. Uh, That day had to be a little bit earlier because we had the Kabasi fest uh, later that day. Uh, But it was 5 o'clock in the morning. I was getting my English muffin together with my grape jelly. Yes, I still remember these things. Like, this is how my brain works. And there was a knock at the door, and I opened the door at 5 o'clock in the morning in my pajamas for somebody I have no idea who they are, right? And I opened the door, and they go, You're the pastor of the church, right? I go, Yes can you come to our house? The person in our house who is sick is dying. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Like, I've never seen them before in my life. I'm like, okay, uh, let me get out of my pajamas, put some like normal clothes on, and I'll be right there. And so I remember leaving the house at five o'clock in the morning, walking, because they're, they're, they're in walking distance, walking to a house, I don't know anybody that lives in that house. I don't know anybody. And so I'm walking in the house going, okay, Lord, I need two things from you right now. One, I need safety because I have no idea what I'm walking into. And that's been a couple times. I have no idea what I'm walking into. I go, I need uh, your safety, but I also need your strength so that I can minister to these people that I have no idea who they are. And somebody in their house is dying. And so I went, and lo and behold, you know, I was there for about a half hour. And nothing bad happened to me, as you can tell, right? And just prayed with them and just tried to minister to them for a half hour. We've all found ourselves in positions where we've needed strength. We've needed to ask God for strength. We've found ourselves in places like that. And I think Timothy is in a place like that. And I think Paul is trying to strengthen Timothy. Paul is telling Timothy here this morning in our text, about the strength that Timothy has. He's reminding us of the strength that you have in Jesus. And What Paul does this morning, and what I want us to see this morning is this, that the needed strength for our current situation is already there. Let me say that again. The needed strength for your current situation is already there in Christ. See, we often look for and ask for strength, but as we will see, Paul tells us that our needed strength is already there. And so with that said, we're going to jump into it this morning. And I have two points for you. Current situation and the needed strength. All right. And so I want you to get a hold of this stuff as we we get going this morning. And we need to start here. The current situation. Now, we're only starting chapter two this morning. So we're only a couple weeks into this letter. And as we've gone through this letter, so far, two things should be ingrained in your mind. One is this. Paul is in jail. And he's on death row. These are his last recorded words that we know of. He is going to be put to death. He is not getting out of jail. Paul does not live after this. He is beheaded because of his faith and his proclamation of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus. The second thing you need to keep in your head and should be there is this. Timothy is struggling. I've mentioned that to you every sermon so far. Timothy is in a place in his life where he's just struggling with things. It seems that he's just wading through some things in life, maybe personally, professionally, maybe a mixture of both. And we've talked about it, that for some reason, his walk with Jesus just doesn't seem it's where it needs to be. Or maybe Paul, because he knows Timothy so well, kind of sees some warning signs in Timothy's life, knowing that Timothy is getting in that point, getting close to that slippery slope. Maybe it's the pressure of pastoring churches that's just weighing on Timothy. And so what Paul does is he tells Timothy, fan in the flame the gift that God has given you. He's told Timothy not to be ashamed of Jesus and Paul, his prisoner. And then last week, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to guard the word of God that he has entrusted to you. Let me ask you, have you done any of those three things? Have you started to fan in the flame the gift that God has given you? Have you worked on knowing Jesus so you're not ashamed of Jesus? Are you guarding the word that God has given to you? So we have to remember that we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. We have to apply the scriptures to our lives. Now in all of that that we've seen so far, you and I can relate that there have been times in our lives from the pressures of life, of work, of temptation, maybe sin, that we have struggled in and with our walk with Jesus. We've all been there because none of us are perfect on this side of heaven. But what Paul is about to do here is remind Timothy of a truth, of a situation, of a reality, that is true for every believer in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is about to do that we're going to take a quick look at is Paul is going to paint a picture, if you will, of our current reality. And what I mean by that is this. Paul, by way of metaphor or analogy, is going to paint a picture of who you are in Christ. You get that? Paul is going to paint a picture by way of analogy of who you are in Christ. He's going to remind all of us of our current situation by showing us four aspects of who we are in Christ and what it means for our daily lives. And this is important because we forget who we are in Christ and what we've been called to in Christ. So Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to tell Timothy this, verses 2 to 6. Paul says this, "And the things you have heard me saw or say, not saw in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others." Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. In those verses, Paul has painted a reality, a picture of who you are in Christ. And what it's like to follow Jesus. And there's four things in there that I want you to see. And I'm only touching on each one of these four because it's not the whole message this morning. And the first thing I want you to see there is this. You are a steward of God's word. Ready? You're a steward of God's word. Verse 2, Paul says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who also be qualified to teach others. Last week, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, you need to guard the word of God that was entrusted to you. We saw that we were guardians last week. That we need to guard the word of God in our lives, but that's only half of it. The other half is not just guarding it, but giving it. And so Paul goes, Timothy, you know the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses? So let's pause there. Paul goes, Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Well, what are those things? Because Paul doesn't tell us. Have you noticed a common thread from Paul? Paul says something and then he never tells us what it is. It's like dealing with a two-year-old. What are you talking about? I have no clue. But you do know what Paul is talking about. Many of you, hopefully all of you, read what Paul is talking about every day. So when Paul says, Timothy, what you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you and I call that as the New Testament. Because Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. And so guess what Paul would say in the presence of many witnesses? It's the truths and the doctrines of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's the scriptures. And so we could literally say, translate it this way. Where Paul's going, Timothy, I want you to take the scriptures that you've heard me share with other people that I've entrusted to you, and I want you to teach that to other people. And so we are to be stewards. And remember, the word steward is a manager. Taking something that doesn't belong to us, but managing it, using it in the way the owner wants it done. And so you are a steward, a manager of God's word. He has given it to you, entrusted it to you, as we saw last week. And you are to use God's word in your life the way that God wants you to use it. We need to be stewards. And so Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you heard me speak these scriptures. Now, you need to entrust these truths to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others. Now, there's a lot there. And so what Paul is saying is, yes, you are a guardian, but you need to teach the word as well. You need to teach others. Now, in Timothy's context, he's a pastor. And so that is why Paul tells Timothy that he needs to teach these truths to reliable men so that they could teach others. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you are a pastor, and so you need to teach the Word of God to other faithful men so they can raise up and be qualified men, qualified elders, to teach the Word of God to others so that it passes from one generation to another generation. Because guess what happens when the Word of God does not get taught to the next generation? 2023 happens, where nobody knows the Bible. Nobody knows the Bible. Nobody. There's people who have sat in churches for 30, 40 years. If I were to go, who is Abraham? They have no idea who Abraham is in the Old Testament. They don't know. And so about, Paul goes, Timothy, you have to teach these men. And notice he says, faithful men. He's not saying gifted men. He's not saying smart men. He's not saying good-looking men. He's not saying men that have an unbelievable gift in communication. He's not saying any of those things. He doesn't say they have to go to seminary. He goes, they just need to be faithful. They have to be faithful to the Lord in what the Scriptures call. And Timothy, you are to teach them so that they can teach the Word of God to other people. Men, you are so needed in the church today. The local church and the corporate church are needed so much to teach the Word of God. The church struggles with that. Man, you're needed. But you could also take this outside of Paul and Timothy's context and say this. If you're a Christian and you're breathing, God wants you to teach the Word of God to others. You could teach in a Sunday school class. You could teach your own kids. You could teach your grandkids and nieces and nephews. You could teach your neighbor what you do know. There's so many different contexts and and workings in your life that you could take the Word of God that you do know and teach it to other people so they could hear the Word of God, that they could learn the Word of God so that they could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they could take what they know and share it to somebody else. That's what we're to do. We're to teach the word of God into the lives of other people so that God would work in their lives. Your current situation as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a steward of his word. It's to teach the word of God that has been trusted to you to those that God brings into your life. But that only makes up part of our current situation. The second part of your current situation is this. You're a soldier and you may not realize this. Verses 3-4, to Paul says this, Endure hardship with us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Now Paul says, endure hardships like a good soldier. Now remember, these are just pictures that Paul is trying to use to convey truths of our, our identity in Christ and what it is to be like following him. But the truth of the matter is this, you are a soldier. If you're in Christ, you're a soldier. And I know what you're saying. Well, I didn't sign up to be a soldier. You did when you gave your life to Jesus. When Jesus saved you, you became a soldier. And the reason that is true is this. There is a spiritual battle that takes place every single day. You know that? There's a battle between God and Satan that is happening every single day... Every moment of the day that they're constantly fighting Satan is constantly going after God and his people. There is a spiritual battle going on. And here's the thing you don't, maybe you don't know about Satan. He does not fight fair. He doesn't do it fairly. You know what he does? He uses you. Because he's a murderer. And he wants you to go down with him. And so he is out to get you. And so when you and I give our lives over to Jesus and we follow him, guess what we've done to use this picture, this analogy, right? Where we're saved, right? Guess what? We're team Jesus. So guess what? Guess whose enemy we have now become? Satan. You are either an enemy of God outside of Christ, or in Christ you're an enemy of Satan. And if you're an enemy of Satan, guess what he likes to do? He likes to attack you. And so so you are into this battle and you are a soldier, as Paul says. That is your current situation, your current reality. And so in light of this, in light of being a soldier, Paul says you need to be a good soldier. Not just a soldier. Bob, right? Bob can answer this, right? Bob, does everybody that's in the army, just because they're in the army, does that mean they're a good soldier? No, right? 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 No. Right? Just because you're just because you play football doesn't mean you're a good football player, right? Just because you type on a keyboard does not mean you're a good typist, right? Just because you're a soldier doesn't mean you're a good soldier. And Paul says we need to be good soldiers. And how do we become good soldiers? Paul Paul goes, Well, endure hardships. What happens when somebody goes into the service? A whole lot of stuff that I don't know. I can only tell you by movies, but I'll give you a couple things. You leave your home. I have a picture of my grandfather in his unit on, hanging on my wall in my dining room. My grandfather, he grew up in Nanticoke. He went into the service for World War II, but his picture is Camp Shelby, Mississippi. He went from here to Camp Shelby, Mississippi, and then he went over and he was in uh, Africa and Italy and all sorts of things, and I have pictures of all of that, right? You leave, You leave your home. When you leave your home, guess what you leave behind? Comforts. You leave comforts. When you go into the service, right, you have to endure hardships, right? I have pictures of my grandfather, right, just being, like, all around snow. Like, all this stuff that is hard and difficult. We endure hardships. There are hardships that have to be endured. You need to remember that to follow Jesus, it means that we're going to need to endure hardships. Because hardships are going to come. And we need to endure them. But it's not just that we need to endure hardships. But it's also that we can't get involved in civilian affairs. To be a good soldier means you can't get involved in civilian affairs. I came across a story this week. I don't know how true it is, but I could see it happening, right? I came across a story about uh, Civil War. And there was one guy in the Army for the Civil War. By trade, he is a watchmaker. So he made watches and he fixed watches, you know, that you wear on your... And so one day... Uh, The commanding officer goes, okay, it's time to break camp. We need to move. And this guy goes, I can't do that right now. I have too many watches to fix. How would you feel if you're in the service and the guy that's supposed to guard your back is too busy fixing watches? Not good. What's the problem? He's on the front lines, but he's involved in civilian affairs. Not that making watches is bad or sinful, right? That's needed. But not when you're on the front lines of of a battle. And so Paul says to be a good soldier, you have to endure hardships, but you also cannot get involved in civilian affairs. It means we can't get tangled up in and with the things that distract us and keep us from the task at hand. And what that means is this. To be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we have to give things up. We have to give up things that keep us from the battle. We have to give things up that keep us from what we ought to be doing in and for Jesus. We have to give up the things that are keeping us from following Jesus. We cannot be fixing watches when a war is going on. Well, what we do is watch eight, nine hours of television, scroll Facebook endlessly, all sorts of things while a battle is going on. And we do all of this, Paul says, to please the commanding officer. Well, who's our commanding officer? It's Jesus. To be a good soldier, we endure hardships. We give up what we need so we can focus in on following Jesus so that we please him. You see, that's your current situation in Christ. You're a steward and you're a soldier. Hopefully a good soldier. But Paul's not done because he goes on to say this. because you're also an athlete. And Don't worry, Bob. No Eagles comments right now. I'm, go- I'm like no- nothing, all right? You're an athlete. Verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Paul would love football, right? I think think Paul would be like an old school team, like not like a new team or anything like that. Because Paul is always using sports analogies, Olympics, running, boxing, all sorts of things. So I think Paul would be a football fan, and he would use football as analogies. But what does Paul say here? Paul goes, if someone is not competing in a sporting event, because they don't win unless if they cheat, right? If you cheat, you don't, you don't win. That's how things work unless you're the New England Patriots and then everything else is okay, right? right? Joe got that one. Bob might have, right? Some of you went right over your head, right? Uh, it's a couple of years old, right? But we all know that if you're cheating, you don't win. Because what happens? You get called out for cheating and you get disqualified. Right? When I played football back in high school, and w- which is really funny, Noah's uh, one teacher was my old, one of my old football coaches, and so Noah's on homebound, and so he's been coming once a week, and he calls me Mr. Sienkiewicz. Can I tell you how uneasy and comfortable it makes me feel that my old football coach calls me Mr. Sienkiewicz? It's really weird. But anyways, we'll get back to the sermon. So if I'm blocking the defensive end so that he doesn't get to the quarterback, right, and the defensive end is coming at me, and I put him in a chokehold, throw him down on the ground, and just stay in there with a chokehold, right? What's going to happen, right? The official is going to throw a flag. And no matter what happened on that play, even if my team scored a touchdown, it's all null and void. It's all coming back. Why? Because I cheated. I cheated. And so it doesn't count. And so Paul says, You're an athlete. And we're not going to get the victor's crown if we're cheating. So what's Paul saying here? He goes, you have to follow the rules. You have to follow the rules. And we actually talked a little bit about this Thursday night at youth group. That God wants us to worship and follow him in truth. Did you know that? In John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that God wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we need to worship God. We need to follow God in truth. Which means there's a right way and a wrong way to worship Him. There's a right way and a wrong way to follow Him. Now, this is not for salvation. We're not talking about following rules to earn salvation. We're not talking that. It's just in our daily lives, we have to make sure that we're following the Lord. Because you still have salvation, but God still doesn't want you to go and murder somebody. He doesn't want you to be covetous. He doesn't want you to be lying. You know, there's the principle that you you reap what you sow. And so there's laws that we need to be following in our lives. And so what Paul is saying there is this, that we need to make sure that we are following Jesus according to the ways that he has prescribed to us in his word. What Paul is saying is this, it's not Burger King. You don't get it your way the way you want it. You don't get to follow Jesus the way that you want to follow Jesus. Because what happens when we want to follow Jesus one way, a lot of times it's not the way that he wants us to. Because we would really love to follow Jesus sitting in our recliner, reading the scriptures, and being, oh, that's all I have to do today. I don't have to do anything. Right? When it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and there was a knock on my door, and they wanted me to come to their house, I'm like, okay, this is what Jesus wants me to do. So I need to follow Jesus, follow his leading, and go there. Not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go in my office and go back to writing. But we have to follow Jesus the way that he's prescribed to us. So that we're in
1: his truth.
0: So you didn't realize that you're a steward, a soldier, and an athlete. But you're also a farmer. Verse 6. Paul says, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I'm not getting into the second part of that verse this morning. Just the first part. This is what Paul tells us about the farmer. He's hardworking. You know, farmers are hardworking.
1: And no one ever notices that.
0: you know any good, hardworking farmers? Maybe you do. Most people don't, though. Do so you want to know why? They're never being interviewed, right? Like the athlete. The athlete's always being interviewed, right? How many farmers do you ever hear tell you who to vote for? right? The athlete tells you who to vote for. The farmer doesn't. That's what Paul tells about the farmer. They're hardworking. They have to work hard. The only way they get the job done is they work hard. And so this is an aspect of us following Jesus, that we need to work hard at following Jesus. I've told you before, Christianity is not passive. Following Jesus is not passive. It's intentional. And it involves hard work. And so for us to follow Jesus, yes, Guess what? Some Sundays, it's going to be really, really hard to come to church and listen to me. I got that. I admit it. Ready? I'll lay you in on a little secret for pastors. Sometimes, some Sundays, it's really hard for pastors to get up and come to church. You want to know why? Because we're human. Following Jesus involves hard work. There has to be hard work in it. Has to be. We're following Christ. That's your current situation, your current reality. In Christ, you are a steward, you are a soldier, you are an athlete, and you're a farmer. And so what do we have here? Well, you need to teach the word to others. You need to be like the soldier who endures hardships. You don't get involved in things that keep you from the task of following Jesus. But you also need to be like the athlete and keep the rules and follow Jesus according to his ways and not yours. You don't, can't run off and do it your way. And you need to work hard like the farmer every day. That is our reality in Christ. Now here's the thing. I have been looking at all of these things all week long. There are seven verses I read to you this morning. There are seven commands in seven verses. I sat here Tuesday night right before Bible study and go, there's seven commands. What do I do with that? Do I do seven separate sermons? Do I do like three sermons? How do I do this? And I'm going, how do these all tie together? Like, how does this all tie together? How do we bring it together? Well, some of you are asking me the same question. So let me ask you a question. What does the steward, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer All have in common. I'm going to give you a second to think about that in your own minds. I'm going to take a drink.
1: What do they all have in common? Perseverance. Perseverance. They all have perseverance in them. Teaching the word of God to others
0: is hard. I can attest to that. It's very hard. You have to persevere. You have to keep going. Being a soldier is hard. You have to keep moving no matter what. And all week long, all I've thought about is the scene in Forrest Gump when he's walking through the water in the army. That's all I keep thinking about, the the soldier persevering. I know there's more to it, but that's the thing in my head. Soldiers have to persevere and keep moving no matter what comes. Being an athlete is hard. Going through that training, disciplining your body is hard. You have to persevere. Being a farmer means you have to persevere. When drought happens, you have to persevere. When the frost comes or ice comes and destroys your crop, you have to persevere. Every one of them has to persevere. Because here's why. The teacher never sees the light bulb go off in somebody's mind if they don't persevere. The soldier never sees the enemy defeated if they don't persevere. The athlete never holds the trophy if they don't persevere. The farmer, he never gets the harvest if he doesn't
1: persevere. Persevere. Timothy is struggling And maybe you are as well. And so Paul reminds him, he reminds you, persevere. He goes, don't quit. Timothy,
0: I know the struggles you have going on in your life right now. Personally, professionally, everything in the middle. Goes, Timothy, I hear you, I got you. But you have to remember, you're the steward, you're the soldier, you're the athlete, you're the farmer. You have to persevere. Don't quit. Don't give up on the marriage. Don't give up on the child. Don't give up on the friend. Don't give up on the job. Don't give up on the calling. Don't give up on the time with Jesus. Don't quit. You need to endure. Take one step at a time, Timothy. Keep moving. So what if the step you take today is half the step you took yesterday, but it's still a step forward. You need to keep moving. But it's so hard. It is so hard to keep moving. Trust me, I know. I know there's times in your life where you want to give up. You want to give up on somebody. You want to give up on something. You want to give up on yourself. Where you feel like you're done where you sit there and you don't see how things will or ever get better. You don't know how things will work out. You look around at everything that you're walking through in life and you don't see God in any of it. And you feel like one of those flags. Have any of you ever seen uh, when a hurricane is coming to the shore and they give you the picture of the beach? Right, And the beach is getting destroyed and there's a pier on the beach and on the beach there's like a flagpole and there's one flag on the flagpole just flapping in the breeze and it's barely hanging on to the flagpole. Have you ever seen that? Right, That's what, we feel like that at times. We feel like the flag on the flagpole on the beach in the middle of a hurricane barely hanging on by a thread. And because the hurricane is upon us We just want to let go.
1: We just want to let go. And we want to give up. Paul goes, don't. He goes, persevere. Keep going. Keep moving.
0: Well, how? How do we persevere? How do we keep moving? How do we stoke the fire, if you will? The same way Paul tells Timothy. As Timothy struggles to persevere. That's the needed strength. Verse 7. Paul says reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Reflect. Meditate on. Think about. When was the last time you reflected on the Scriptures? Do you ever reflect on the message I give? Do you ever read Scripture and reflect on it later in the day throughout the week? It'll change your life if you do it. Paul says, Timothy, you need to reflect on what I just told you. Why? Because look at the promise. Because reflect on what I'm saying. Why? For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. God, I need insight on stuff. Paul goes, we'll reflect on what God has told you. There's a promise in there. Because we need to be reflecting on what God has told us. And he will give insight to us. And when guess what happens when we get insight? We're strengthened. God strengthens us as we as we reflect and meditate on his words. He's going to give wisdom. He's going to work within you. But how does that help me persevere? Well, it does. But there's one other thing.
1: You know what verse we have not looked at yet? Verse 1. We haven't looked at verse 1 yet.
0: Paul goes to Timothy, You then, my son, Remember when he says son, he's not talking about physical son. He's talking about, think of the mentor, mentee relationship. Because you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because Timothy, you're struggling and you need to persevere. And how you persevere is by being strong. Now, here's the thing on that phrase where he says, be strong, it gets lost in the translation a little bit the wording that Paul uses there does not mean to be strong in yourself. He's not telling Timothy, Timothy, be strong in yourself. What it actually means is, Timothy, be strong in the Lord or by the Lord. It literally reads this. Keep on being empowered in the Lord. Some of you are trying to do things and wade through things in your life by your strength. You're trying to persevere through life by your strength. And that is why you're failing. That is why it's hard for you to persevere. Because you're trying to do it in your strength and not the strength of Jesus. And you need to stop. You need to be strong in the Lord. You need to find your strength in Jesus. You need to rest in Christ. You need to give it all to Jesus and leave it there. You go, I do give it all to Jesus. But yeah, when you're done praying, you pick it up with you and take it with you. And you gave it to Jesus for five minutes. No, leave it there. Leave it. Be done with it. Give it to Him. You need to put yourself in the place to draw upon the power of the Lord instead of running from Him and ignoring Him. And you do that by faith and trust in Jesus. And so you need to be strong in the Lord, Paul tells us. Not by yourself. But he goes on to say, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. We persevere by being strong in the Lord. We but we persevere by being strong in the grace of Jesus. Well, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It is the favor of God that He gives to you and I that we do not deserve. It is his, the favor of God that enables empowers and powers us and affects a lot of things that is found in Christ alone. It is the grace of God that strengthens you to persevere. When Paul had his thorn in the flesh, what did he do? He prayed, God, will you take this from me? Nope. Praise again, will you take? Nope. Praise a third time. What does God say to Paul? He says, Paul, I hear you. But Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what God says to Paul next?
1: He says, my power is made perfect in weakness.
0: Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is sufficient for you. You see, it's God's grace that strengthens us to keep going because in our weakness, in your weakness, that is where God comes in. That is where God's strength goes to work in you and through you. But when we're trying to do it, On our own, with our strength and our wisdom and our ability and our power and our thoughts and our gifting. What we're saying is, God, I don't want your strength. I don't want your power. I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't want you to do it. So I'm going to do it in and above myself, by myself. And we reject God working through us. We reject His strength because we're trying to do it on our own. And God goes, no, it's in your weakness. My strength is made perfect. That's where grace comes in. God's grace meets us where we are and when we need it. In 2 Peter, we're told that God's grace is various. It means that no matter what kind of grace you need, no matter what situation you are in, God is always there with a tailor-made grace to your situation. Do you know that? God's grace is always perfect for your situation. God's grace strengthens you because it reminds you that you are not in control. You know that? You're strengthened when you realize because of God's grace, you're not in control. Be God strengthens you because it reminds you. His grace reminds you that you're not alone. Because of God's grace, you're not alone in Christ saw so last week, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Because of God's grace, you have the presence of God with you every second of every day. His grace. God's, strength, uh, God's grace strengthens you because it reminds us that we don't have to do it in your, our own strength. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he goes, I labor in His strength. God's grace goes, I will do it. I will give you the strength to do this. You don't have to muster the strength to walk through it. He goes, I'll I'll do it with you. He goes, I'll do it for you. God's grace strengthens you because it reminds you that the results are not up to you. Because of God's grace, you don't have to worry about the results. He takes care of them. He doesn't judge you
1: by the results. They're in His hands.
0: It's not part of His grace. And God's grace strengthens you because it reminds you that even if you fail, you're still loved
1: and accepted by Jesus. You're still loved and accepted by Christ. You fail. That's all His grace. And that strengthens us.
0: Let me ask you, what's your struggle right now? Are you persevering? Are you being strong in the Lord? Or are you relying on your own strength? Are you being strong in the grace of the Lord? Are you putting yourself in a place to cling to and draw upon the strength of Jesus? Or have you unplugged yourself from Christ and you're trying to do it all yourself? Keep taking one step at a time in the grace of Jesus and being strong in the Lord. Because as you do that, you will persevere by the power and the strength of Christ. Not yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you are. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you would help us to see your grace. I pray that you'd help us to persevere in our lives of what we are facing and going through. I pray that you'd help us to be strong in you, Jesus, and not in ourselves. I pray that your strength would come through our weaknesses. Help us to step aside. And admit that we are weak and that we are
1: in need of you. That you would work. That you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.